All right. How's everybody doing tonight? Good, good. All right, let's stand as we open up in prayer. Thank you for being with us online. Uh, glad you tuned in tonight, and we're going to have a great time tonight uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, pray for all the ministries that are on campus tonight. Uh, our ladies are with us tonight from the Bible study. Glad to have our ladies with us tonight. And uh, all the stuff going on, This anybody busy yet? Okay, I'll just, if you haven't been, if you're not, I'll come see me and I'll help you out. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Father, tonight we're so grateful to be together tonight. Thank you for the privilege of, uh, of just joining together. Thank you for the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, thank you that we are, bought in, uh, we are born into this family when we uh, commit our lives to you. And we thank you for the, 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 the brotherhood, the, the fellowship, the camaraderie that we have Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer tonight. Thank you that we can call out to you in our time of need, knowing that you hear us and respond to our prayers. I pray for every hand that went up in the building tonight, everyone online tonight, no matter what the need is, Lord, I thank you that you are aware of it and you already know what you're going to do. So, Lord, help us to just dare to believe that with you all things are possible. Lord, we speak healing, deliverance. Lord, we speak encouragement. Uh, Lord, peace into chaotic situations. Lord, I pray that you would uh, meet every financial need. I pray for all the ministries on campus tonight that you would be exalted and lifted high in all things. And I pray that you would be with us in our time of study tonight. Open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this time and service to you right now. Thank you for all that you do. We declare it in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, while you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, I, you know, it was a busy weekend uh, with, uh, with just everything that was going on. Thank you for all the help. We had our food distribution. We had our snow slide. We had the uh, Celebrate the Child. Wasn't that wonderful Sunday? What, a, what an amazing job he did. Uh, was so enjoyable and kind of emotional. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just a beautiful presentation. Um, this week, we have FAM, uh, our family and marriage ministry. will be meeting at the barn Friday night at 6. So call in all of our families. Uh, you, you, what did I say? 6.30. Will somebody get that right one? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 6.30, FAM uh, at the barn on Friday night. So bring your kids. Uh, they're having their Christmas um, celebration, and we just really love the FAM ministry. Look forward to 2024. God doing something really uh, incredible with it. Also, on the 13th is our um, Senior Saint Christmas party. Is that what you're calling it? Yeah. Just be there. Okay, so you can fill in the blank. On the 13th, uh, our Senior Luncheon Christmas Celebration. It's a Wednesday, so note that. It's a Wednesday, different than typical Thursday. Everybody say Wednesday. We don't do well with change, so it's Wednesday, <laughs> not Thursday. We have that going on uh, next week. Sunday, I'm going to start a kind of a short Christmas, not really a series, maybe a two-part, three-part series or, or message on Christmas, uh, Rediscovering Christmas, Rediscovering Christmas. Uh, and as far as the schedule, um, I, I don't know that they've posted online yet, but we are going to... Um, on Christmas Eve, that Sunday morning, we're having one service 
uh, won't have Sunday school that morning. We'll do a 10 a.m. service, and it will be our Christmas Eve celebration. We'll do a 10 o'clock service right here, and uh, we're going to have communion that morning. Uh, and uh, we won't have service that midweek, uh, which is uh, the 26th, 7th, the 27th. We won't have that midweek service. Then we'll resume normal on the 31st. So Sunday school, uh, 8.30, Sunday school, and then 10.45. So that'll be published on our uh, social media and the little bulletin things. Uh, just note that. So anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. We're, uh, I'm going to be teaching on the Grinch. The Grinch. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I'm not going to sing it to you, but uh, you know it well. <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Yeah, may the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So, so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, just looking at the Christmas story from <coughs> many different angles. Sunday, uh, actually, I've, I've never used uh, this text. I'll be preaching out of Sunday for Christmas. But when, when we unpack it, you'll understand why I chose it. Uh, tonight, talking about the Grinch. You know, one of the things about Christmas season is we're introduced to many characters. Um, when you think of Christmas, what, what, do, you, what do you think of? Oh, okay, so Santa Claus. Anybody else want to say anything? Okay, birth of Jesus. Okay, talk about modern culture. Where, where are we at? So, so think about this. Uh, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Jack Frost. How about Clarence? Anybody remember Clarence? Yeah, you know, we got Clarence. How about the Heat Miser? Right? <laughs> that's, that's going back. Uh, uh, how about Scrooge? I can't, can't forget about him because he's still alive and well in 2023. <laughs> you know, there's another character that Dr. Seuss revealed to us who is from the village of Whoville. You know him well? He's the Grinch. He's the grumpy. Uh, he, he was the grump that attempted to steal Christmas, uh, the Christmas cheer from all the Who's in Whoville. Okay, he's the Grinch. And as hard as he tried, again, you know it, as hard as the Grinch tried, the lesson, the lesson we learn from that story is this. When Christmas is in our heart, it doesn't matter what's under the tree. When Christmas is in our heart, it doesn't matter what's under the tree. Well, let me just, let's go back a few centuries, a few millennia actually, and let's talk about the origin of the Grinch. The Grinch, the origin of the Grinch we find in 447 B.C., we know him as Herod the Great. He's only 25 years old. He's just been named the governor of Galilee. Again, a high position for such a young man. The Romans uh, hoped that Herod would kind of pacify the, the Jews uh, of that region. In 40 B.C., the Roman Senate named him King of the Jews. That was the name that they gave him. It was a title that the Jews hated for two reasons. Number one, they didn't like it because he was not a Jew by birth. And number two, they didn't like it because he was not a Jew by religion. They gave him that title 
king of the Jews as an irritant, kind of being antagonistic. Uh, so as the years rolled by, and this is some historical things about Herod that I'm going to call him the Grinch tonight. Um, he became, as he grew, again, 25 years of age was when he was tapped to be the governor uh, of that region. And as he grew, he became very cruel and clever. Uh, and, and really, like all despots, he, uh, he held tightly to the reins of his reins of leadership by brutality, and he removed anybody that got in his way. I mean, anybody that stepped up and challenged his authority, challenged his leadership, they were gone. And, and over the years, he was known as a man who killed a lot of people. In fact, he killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his wife. I mean, these are, again, these are historical facts about this man, Herod. It was the murder of his wife, however, that drove him mad. He, he literally became, again, he did it. <laughs> he killed her because he thought she was a threat to his power, but he never got over her. Even though he was only 44 when he killed her, he lived to be, uh, he lived to be 70. Uh, when he killed his wife, that was the beginning of the end. He began to, things began to unwind. Herod the Great was a killer. It was his nature. He killed out of spite. He killed to stay in power. Uh, for this man, this Grinch, human life meant nothing. Human life had no value to this man. The, the great historian Josephus, and this is where you get a lot of information, uh, Josephus called him barbaric, called him barbaric. Another writer dubbed him as the uh, malevolent maniac, and another one called him the great pervert. This was Herod the Great. This is the one we read about in the Christmas story. This, this is Herod. In 7 BC, Herod is now an old man, okay? He'd been in power for 41 years. He knows that he doesn't have much longer to live. He gets word that his sons are plotting. Now think about this. He's in his old age. He gets word that his sons are plotting to overthrow him. You know what he does? He orders them to be put to death. Okay? So, and, and, the, and the method that he chose was strangulation. So he had somebody strangle his sons. Uh, no wonder Caesar Augustus said, it is sa here's, what, here's a quote. Caesar Augustus said, it is safer to be Herod's sow than his son. So his wife... His mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, two sons among the many that he killed. Killing was what he did best. That's the Grinch. Fast forward a couple years later, Herod the Great, the king of the Jews, is slowly dying. Josephus describes his disease as a foul distemper. His body is racked with convulsions. His breath is foul. His skin is covered with sores, and he's losing his mind. He's actually going senile, but he's still king. So that's all the leading up to the Christmas story. That's the background. He's still king. And one day word comes to him that in Jerusalem, some visitors had arrived from the east. These were strange men. These were men that not only were they strange from a strange place, they were asking a strange question. They are the magi. You and I know them as the wise men from the east. They were priests uh, of an oriental religion that pr practiced astrology. Uh, in Persia, they were considered powerful men. But they make their way to Jerusalem, and they're asking this question. They journeyed across the desert wanting to get an interview with King Herod. Uh, again, perhaps there were three. You know, we always talk about 
three wise men. You know, the Bible never says there were three. You know, it doesn't give us a number. They were just wise men. Uh, maybe it was three. You know, we always say that because of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, I mean, what about that was just the three gifts, but everybody, anyway, we don't know. Uh, the important thing was Herod was, uh, was not, the important thing to Herod was not who they were, but what they asked. Because here's what they asked in verse 2 of that chapter. I didn't read it, but here's what they asked. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, again, go back to what I just said about his character. For all of that time, 41 years, he has been a murderer. For 41 years, he, has killed, he killed his wife, he killed his mother-in-law, his, his sons, and, and, and he's, that's all he's done. Anybody that was a threat to his power, he took them out. And so now, in his older, olden age, the golden age, he's teetering on insanity, and somebody comes up from the east that he didn't know, and they ask him, where is the one who is the king of the Jews? Again, there are a lot of mysteries about this, this Christmas story. Who precisely are the wise men? Well, we don't know. Well, where did they come from? Well, we really don't know. What was the star that they saw in the sky? We don't know. We just know that there was evidence that said to them that there was something different. And they followed his star. And here's the thing, Herod didn't know either. But he knew he'd better find out because, again, if he's born king of the Jews, what does that mean for me? You, you see the, the way the mind works? How many's ever been threatened? Maybe you've been a supervisor on a job and somebody, some go-getter came onto the work, your, your team and they were just a go-getter. They started working. They were efficient and effective and they, they, they rolled up their sleeves and jumped in. You know, if you're not careful, a lot of people get in, they get that green-eyed monster going, right? And they start getting a little suspicious and a little jealous. I can promise you this guy here was eaten up with it. When he heard the word, where is the one born king of the Jews? Wait a minute, that's my title. What are you, ta what are you talking about, Willis? That's, that's my title. <laughs> You're, 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 you know, again, he's a threat. He's a challenge. You know, he didn't know, Herod didn't know who they were, didn't know where they came from, didn't know anything about the star in the sky, didn't know anything about this, born, this baby that was born king of the Jews, but he better find out because they're looking for the king of the Jews. How is that possible when he's the king of the Jews? But he was not born that way. In fact, not only was he not born that way, this guy had to fight and kill to gain that title. So it was a puzzle to him. What are, who is this man? The Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 2, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 says, When Herod heard this, notice the word that it uses. It said, When he heard this, he was disturbed or troubled. Well, rightly so. I mean, this guy's knocked off most of his family because they posed a threat to him. And when these men show up out of nowhere that had probably never been to Jerusalem before saying, hey, wait a minute, we came to see the one who's born king of the Jews, it probably was disturbing. The word disturbing in, in, in the Greek language means to shake violently. It got his attention. I mean, again, and no wonder he had subdued all of his enemies, he had killed all of his foes, and he was ready to die triumphantly. And then all of a sudden these strangers show up with that question. 
So to Herod, there's no time to rest. No time to rest. In his mind, one more person to kill. That's, that's going through his mind. I thought Kurt did really a good job with that really tough. How many's ever thought about, you know, when he came out with little Benjamin, and that one scene, and he held that baby, and I mean, that happened. You know, sometimes we read right past that, and we don't think anything about it, but man, I sat there, and my eyes leaked a little bit, because I'm thinking as a parent, you know, back at the time of Herod, when he sent out that decree to go kill all the baby boys, there were parents that lost their sons to this despot, this Grinch. It happened, it real. You know, Herod knew that the Jews, and the only thing Herod knew at this point, again, the guys come from the east, these wise men, the Magi, they're looking for the king of the Jews. They don't know where he's at. Herod does it. It, it, it caught him totally off guard. He now is obsessed with this king of the Jews. Uh, the only thing he knew is that the Jews had been looking or waiting for the Messiah. That's what they were waiting on. They were waiting for the Messiah, the one that God would send to save them and reign as king. Again, that probably didn't sit well with this guy. Uh, and, and so here's what happens next. Again, I'm just making reference to chapter 2. You can read it later. So what does he do? He calls together all of his chief priests and the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he asks them the question, where is this Christ, the Messiah? Where is the anointed one? Where is he going to be born? And, and their answer is, again, I mean, can you imagine a guy that's, that's overly jealous and that is suspicious about everything, and they said, hey, where, where is this, this Messiah supposed to be born? And their answer to him was in Bethlehem of Judea. Well, wait a minute, that's, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there twice, and from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's less than six miles. It's right here. <laughs> It's in his backyard. This is what the prophet written. So they go on in verses 4 through 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Well, again, you're talking about adding fuel to the fire for a guy who's already going mad. They not only say, yes, there's the Messiah coming, we know where he's going to be born, and it's six miles that away. That's where he's coming. So in his mind, he's starting to think again, okay, well, maybe these guys are onto something. I mean, what if the baby they're looking for really is the Messiah? And, and he's playing this what if thing, what if, what if, what, what if he takes my place? I was only 25 when I, when I became governor. What if he takes my place? Again, play in that scenario. You know, Herod may be many things, but he's not stupid. He held on to power by brute force and by just being cruel and crafty. You know, so for this guy, you know, time, it was time to move. So the wise men asked, where's the baby born king of the Jews? The scribes had confirmed that the Old Testament prediction of the Messiah's birth was in Bethlehem. Again, no wonder he's shaken up. Herod tries to steal Christmas. That's why I call him the Grinch. On that first Christmas, or, 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 the, the Christmas story, he tried to end the Christmas story right there. That, because he was 
obsessed with his power. In the end, he lost. And I think, it, I think a lesson still rings true for us today. Uh, you think, would a man really try to kill the Christ, the Son of God? Well, Herod did. Herod tried. All tyrants have a coward's heart. All tyrants have a coward's heart. They rule by force, and the one thing they fear the most is a force greater than theirs. If Messiah had come, it meant that Herod was ruling in opposition to God. Therefore, he must kill that baby, and he must do it now. So that's where he comes to that conclusion. If he's the Messiah that is promised to come, then I'm going to be ruling in direct opposition to him, so I've got to take him out. So what does he do? He hatches this clever plot, and we know it well, and it's a very heinous thing to do. Verse 7 says, then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from the, uh, then Herod called the Magi, let me get my reading here, secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them from Bethlehem, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, we read this story, and, and for me, and this is the way my brain works, okay? So I read that story, and my first thought is, well, why, why didn't the wise men, pardon the pun here, wise up to Herod's trick? I mean, why, why, why weren't they in on it? Why didn't they discern that? Why didn't they know what his trick was? Well, my, the answer would be, why should they? I, I, I mean, why should they? They had no reason to suspect his motives. He said, look, go to Bethlehem, find this baby child, and come back and report to me so that I can go and worship too. They had no reason to doubt his motives. I don't think he was a, uh, walked around with wild eyes and slobbering at the mouth and, you know, just as, bla- you know, this mad. I don't think he was like that. Go find him. I want to come worship him too. They didn't have any reason. Another thing you might think of is, well, why didn't Herod send some troops to Bethlehem to check things out? Well, he could have. But that would have attracted way too much attention at that point. Another question might be, well, if he was so concerned about it, why didn't he go to Bethlehem and see for himself? Good question. Why didn't he go? Because he didn't want to come face to face with the king sent from heaven. That's it. I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to jump off on this trail, but... There are still people today that don't seek Jesus because they don't want to come face to face with the only begotten of the Father. Because if I come face to face with him, then I have to acknowledge. What did Isaiah say? Isaiah 6 says, when I, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And if you go on and read that, that narrative there in Isaiah chapter 6, it talks about how that uh, when he saw God in all of his glory and all of his splendor, there was something that happened. He said, all, all of a sudden, he became self-aware. He said, I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He all of a sudden came consciously aware of his sin. That sin, sin means to miss the mark. In the presence of God, in the presence of holiness, he became aware that he, his standard was not good enough. And that's why he prayed. Uh, that's, that's why he was, un, he was overwhelmed. And the Bible says that the, the seraphim t- took the tongs and took the coal from the altar 
to purify, to purify. See, that's why people don't seek him today is because if I come face to face with the heaven sent son of God, then my righteousness is of filthy rags in his presence. And not, Herod didn't want to face that. Herod didn't want to face the, the heaven sent king. That would be too much. He would, because if he saw him, he would be forced to decide at all costs. He wanted to avoid that. So he didn't go, and he didn't send soldiers. He sent the wise men instead. And so they go, and you know the rest of the story. We sing about it. We talk about it. We put it in pageants every year. The star miraculously reappeared and led them to the exact house. When they found the baby Jesus, so, so if you remember Jameson uh, in, the, in the deal on Sunday, I'm stuck calling him Josh. <laughs> so last couple times I've seen him, I'm like, hey, Josh. <laughs> um, so they go, they go find baby Jesus, and the Bible says they bowed down, they worshiped him, and they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, the Magi knew something Herod never knew, and that is that this little baby, this little baby in a tiny house wrapped in rags would someday rule the world. They were not ashamed to give gifts fit for a king. And this is where the story takes an interesting turn because right before they head back to tell this madman Herod where, the, where Jesus was, we were told one last thing in verse number 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. They were wise men that were wise enough to seek the Messiah, and wise enough to discern the voice of, the, of heaven. And they left a different route. The Magi went east. Mary and Joseph and the baby went west towards Egypt. Soon Bethlehem was as it had always been and still is, a sleepy country village. So think about Herod. He's waiting and anticipating. Anybody remember that old commercial? Anticipation. Was it ketchup? Wasn't it the ketchup? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine him sitting there waiting for the Magi to come back? He's just chomping at the bits, waiting, probably wringing his hands, waiting for the Magi to come back and, and just share where he is so he can go take him out. Again, that was, his, that was the ultimate plan right there. But they played a trick on him. They left that other route, went a different way, didn't come back. When Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, the Bible says he became enraged. Why? Well, the trickster had been tricked. Listen, all things are open and naked before God. You may fool, you know, we can pull the wool over some people's eyes, but you never do it over God's eyes. That con man had been conned. The liar had been double-crossed. And, 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 and now we see the wisdom of God. So before I tell you what happens next, I want, I want you to keep in mind, I'm building up to something. Herod is old and he's sick. He's slowly losing control of his kingdom. He's dying and he knows it. He's angry over being tricked by the Magi. He has to do something about this threat to his, his reign. He's out of his mind with rage. Fear, frustration, pain rack his body. He's insanely jealous and nearly insane. He's a bloody killer by nature. Remember, he killed most of his family just to hang on to his power. 
That's him. All of the instincts of his lifetime now bubble to the surface. So, so I don't know about you. I, I, this debate that we have in our, in our culture today about abortion, killing the unborn, it, it, it bothers me. And, and I know there have been people, we have people in the church, I, I, I don't condemn anybody at all. There are people that, uh, again, quite frankly, society has fed a, a bunch of garbage to. And there are people that struggle with the guilt of that. This, this certainly is not uh, uh, any type of condemnation, but it bothers me. It bothers me how the callousness of the human heart can get to a level that we would kill the most innocent among us. And I say that all of his history, the reason I, I, I spent a little bit of time giving you the history of this despot is because there was something inherently wrong with this man's thinker to do what he's about to do. My instinct as a, as a father, as a human being, you know, I, I've been in trouble more times than, than I care to count because I've stepped in when I thought a little child, an innocent one, was being abused. We were sit, Sheila and I were sitting in a restaurant in Germany shortly after we had gotten there. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, I, I am me. <laughs> and he's still working on me, right? There was a couple sitting behind, but not too far from us. We were sitting at a restaurant there on base there in Germany, and, and they started on this child, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally holding the table. You know, discipline's one thing, but this had taken a leap past discipline to something that I, I thought should never happen, number one, and number two, not in public especially. And finally, I'd had all I could take, and I just got up, and I walked over there, and I politely said something to them and voiced my displeasure. I wanted to do more than that, to be honest with you, but my wife has got me by the shirt saying, sit back down, sit back down, sit back down. <laughs> I can't imagine what went through this man's mind. He went absolutely bonkers. And all of his previous history boiled to the surface. When you think of Herod, there's one thing that stands out about him that we can recall. And even people that are not overly religious in the holidays, maybe not up to speed on a lot of the characters of, of, of Christmas, if you mention this guy, there's one thing they know about him. It's termed the slaughter of the innocents. And after 2,000 years, Herod is known for this one act. Yes, he was violent, took out most of his family, he was insane, but he's known for this one act. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he, was abs he flipped out, went insane. He gave orders to kill every baby boy in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas that were two years old and younger. And that was in, the accord, in accordance with the time that the Magi had talked about in verse 16. He lost his mind. And this guy did something worthy of Hitler, Stalin, Saddam Hussein. He went totally bonkers. He ordered the cold-blooded murder of all the male babies under the age of two. I don't, I don't know about you, but can you imagine that scene? 
soldiers on the death squad breaking into the homes, finding baby boys, and then running them through with a sword. It just, it, again, it just does something to me. That Sunday touched me because I thought, you know what? He's acting. I'm sure it was amplified many, many times over what he did on Sunday. Throughout the streets, they go seeking every baby boy, killing all night long. They had their orders, and their orders were to kill every baby boy. Don't miss one. They did their job well. By morning, the slaughter is over. The soldiers are gone. The babies are dead. And the whole town of Bethlehem is ringing out with cries of mourning. Mothers, as the scripture says, refusing to be comforted because their children are no more. Some people would ask the question, did this really happen? Could Herod really have done this? And the answer is consistent with everything historians know about Herod the Great, yes. Because killing is what he had been doing for 41 years. And there's no reason to think that he wouldn't do something like this. Back in Jerusalem, Herod leans back on his couch and he hears the good news that all the baby boys are, are, are dead. And he's probably thinking, job well done. I've done it again. I've secured my position. I'm safe. I killed my last foe. Little did he know that the one who watches over all had seen and warned, and they got the baby Jesus out of town. The Bible concludes the story of Herod in verse 19 by noting the death of Herod. Josephus says, and it's a little gross, but the historian Josephus says that when Herod died, maggots had eaten away part of his body. He died in agony. He was insane. He was tormented and delirious. When he died, they buried, a, they buried his body in a grave not far from Bethlehem. And not long after that, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus returned from Egypt and they moved to a Galilean village called Nazareth. That's where Jesus was. The man who tried to kill Christmas almost did, but he didn't. Herod the Great, slaughterer of the infants of Bethlehem, he, did, he didn't get the one that mattered the most. And you know why? God saw to it. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible says he came into his own and they did not recognize him. I, I, you know, Herod is a leading figure in this, in this story in our text, but he's not the only player in this. And I, I've all, in, fact, in fact, I think I've preached a message out of this same series looking at these characters. He's not the only one. You know, you think about besides Herod, they're the wise men. And beside the wise men, then there, there are other characters. They're the scribes, the Pharisees in Jerusalem. All three of these people, all three of these categories of people represent us and how we respond to the Christmas story. This is the, ma- the meat of it. I, I gave you a lot of history tonight. I won't do that again. I'm just kind of telling you this story is a lot more than what you just read in the scriptures. This man was evil. What he did was evil. It was real. But God had already prepared a way before the foundation of the world. All three represent different ways of looking at the Christmas story. The first way is hostility. Hostility. Herod stands as a symbol for the kind of world that Jesus came into. You know, we see the pageantry and, 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 and man, my hat's off to the, 
the wonderful job that our decorators have done. By the way, there's a photo booth backdrop there. Anytime you want to take pictures over the next few Sundays, stop by. There's one in the gym as well. That's my announcement. See, that's what happens when I talk. I remember things I'm supposed to tell you, so <laughs> I'll throw that out there. Um, so, so again, I, I, we look around and we see the beauty. I mean, who doesn't like a, a, a Thomas Kincaid painting of Christmas scene of a local town, the town square, the snow and the lights and, and the people that are dressed to a T? And, I mean, beautiful. How many know the world's not like that? It's not like that. I mean, I, I enjoy seeing the decorations, and I enjoy, again, the sights and the sounds, and, and now you add in the smells. I love the smells of, of the season. You got gingerbread cookies, and you got butter cookies, and pie, pie. That's my, that's my holiday. So, so, but that's not the world. I mean, Herod represents the type of world that Jesus was born into. He, he, he represents the world's welcoming committee for the Son of God. And it's not the way that we thought it would be. I mean, if we knew that we had a dignitary coming to, to town, uh, you know, it's kind of, I'm not even going to say that. Um, it's, it, well, when I was in the military, if we had, we called it a dog and pony show. Anybody know, familiar with that terminology? So, so if you had a high-ranking officer that was going to visit your your, your uh detachment or your place, then, then they would spend the first, the, the few days ahead of it and they would want you. And I always thought it was interesting to me because we're in a combat career field. We have combat, we have camouflage vehicles, but they want us out there with armor all shining it up. I always thought that was odd <laughs> in the whole idea behind camouflage to not be seen. And yet you're making me polish it. But anyway, that was, that was it. They wanted you to clean things up Get the weeds out of the, the, the rocks and the driveway. You know, just, just make sure everything is pristine. You wanted to present your very best. I remember when George Bush years ago met Queen Elizabeth. He had to sit down through a, I think it was a couple-hour presentation of the, of the protocol for meeting the queen. So when you think about meeting a dignitary, you know, somebody, king of the Jews, I mean, you would think, but Herod represents the typical way that the world looks at the coming of the Son of God. Jesus is born, and he's not born in a palace. He's not born in a holiday inn. He's born in a barn. And then the rulers of the world of that day tried to kill him. The Bible says, again, I've already quoted in John 1, 11, he came to what was his own, but his own didn't receive him. They didn't receive him. Herod stands for that bloodthirsty, cruel, vindictive side of the world system that stands in opposition of everything Christ stands for. That's why the Bible says we're to be in the world, but we're not of the world. The system, this world, and everything that's in it is in opposition to everything that God stands for. A world where, I mean, think about the world we live in where human life is cheap. I get, I get, I, again, I get, I get, my blood pressure up when I see these commercials about sponsoring, um, you know, nineteen ninety five a month. And I know you don't be mad at me for saying this, but they play these sad, heart stringing, tugging songs for raising funds for animal cruelty. And I, listen, nobody should be cruel to animals. I think that I think God would be displeased. But those same people that put on those commercials 
and sponsor those things. Think nothing, think nothing about snuffing out an innocent human life still in the mother's womb. Today in, a, in, in our society, one of the most dangerous places to be on earth is in a mother's womb. And that's a sad commentary. That's where, that's the world system. Human life is cheap. I saw not long ago uh, a news article that came across my feed that talked about the age of euthanasia, euthanizing, uh, euthanizing, I can't even say it. Uh, the elderly is, is, is gradually, actually it's getting to the point where now anyone in, in, not in our country, but just north of us, can go and request to be euthanized because they're having a hard time in life. That's sad. But that's the world system, a world system where human life is cheap, a world where killing is acceptable and even expected. Herod died, but his spirit still lives on today. To this day, there are those who are offended by Jesus. In fact, even the mention of his name will send some into just just. A, a rage because he stands opposed to everything that they believe. They oppose spiritual truth. They want to erase every trace of Christianity uh, from, from public life. This group includes those, uh, I mean, again, we, we've got school administrators, we've got politicians that want to banish anything remotely Christian or, uh, you know, we don't want to talk about Christmas anymore. It's, that's hostility. And there are people today that still view Christmas time with great hostility, just like Herod did. Another group would be those who are indifferent. Indifferent. The scribes represent this religiously indifferent group of people. Here's what I mean by that. You, you gotta, who are the scribes? They, they, were the, they were the scholars. They were the ones that were charged with documenting and and. and tr- tracing or, or copying out the scriptures. That was their job. Why did Herod go to ask them? Because they were the ones who would know. They were in charge of the scriptures. They were the learned men of scriptures. If anybody was going to know where the Messiah was supposed to be born, if it was spoken in God's word, these guys would know. So he goes and asks them. These were the insiders of religious affairs. They knew the facts, and yet they did nothing with it. That's the interesting thing. They, they don't care. They don't, I, I mean, when you read the, te- the narrative there, nowhere in there we see any indication that when they were asked where the king of the Jews would be born or the Messiah, they didn't get excited. They, 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 they didn't say, oh, could it be now? You don't see that. You don't infer that from anything in Scripture. When Herod asked where the baby was to be born, they knew the answer. They told him where to look, but they didn't care enough to investigate for themselves. Again, Bethlehem is less than six miles away. But for these indifferent people, it was just too far to go. Too far to go. It was all academic to them. Have a nice trip. Hope you find the Messiah. (laughs) Let us know. Indifference. We have that today. We have that today. We have, there are people today that are totally indifferent to the things of God. That's why the Bible warns us over and over again about getting locked into the system of this world. Apathy and complacency. You know, these men should have been singing and dancing because the Messiah had come. Instead, they ignore his birth. 
So, so my question would be, well, I mean, who, uh, who's worse, Herod or the scribes? I think the scribes look worse because Herod, for all of his excess, was at least acting consistently with his nature. By contrast, these men knew the truth, and they did nothing with it. You think maybe that's why Jesus, later on in Matthew, we find where he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father. Maybe there are people that it's all academic. They can quote you scripture. They can give you background context of things, but it doesn't make a hill of beans to them. They're totally indifferent to them. It doesn't change or alter their lives presently. That's indifference. That's indifference. So we can be in the hostile group. We can be in the indifference group. Or we can be in the third group represented in our text tonight, the worshiping group. (laughs) See, it's our choice. This one final group on stage, these are the wise men. Who when they found the baby Jesus, what did they do? The Bible says they bowed down and they worshiped him. That's my group. That's what I want to be in. Come and worship. Come and worship. And then there's more to that song. <laughs> I don't remember. That's the group I want to be in. And, and, and in an ironic twist to the Christmas story, that it's the pagans who recognize Jesus for who he really is. These were mystics from the East. And yet they recognized the Messiah that was born. Herod knows and he tries to kill him. The scribes know and they ignore him. But the wise men prove themselves worthy of the title wise men because when they found him, they worshiped. That's kind of where the, that cliche comes, wise men still seek him. That's where it comes from because that's what they did. These three responses picture the different ways that people Today, even still now, they respond to Jesus. Some will always be hostile. They'll get mad at you. Uh, listen, my canned response, uh, you know, and I, I'll, be, I'll talk about it a little bit on Sunday, but we, have, we hear people all the time talking about the war on Christmas, and we get mad at people talking about happy holidays. My canned, my canned response is always Merry Christmas. I don't do it to antagonize anybody, but see, Jesus for me is not an add-on. He is my life. And, and, but I don't get bent out of shape. I used to, <laughs> but I don't get bent out of shape if somebody says happy holidays to me. I'll say Merry Christmas and go on about my, my merry way. You know, I, I, again, some people are going to be hostile. They're going to look at you and say, you know, they're gonna, they, they might even get in your face and, and say some ugly things to you. They're hostile. Some will always be indifferent. It doesn't make a difference to them. And then there will always be those who worship. The great thing is I get to choose which one I'm going to be in. I can be uptight about things. I can be indifferent to things. Or I can worship. It's my choice. You know, sometimes you even see all three responses in one family. (laughs) Right? You know, after 2,000 years, Herod still has his grandchildren. People hostile. The scribes are still too busy to go to Bethlehem. And the wise men still seeking. So the ultimate question as I close tonight, it's not how someone else responds, but how do we respond?
How do I respond? You see, uh, when, it, when, it, when you get right down to it, that's all that really matters. How will, how will I respond to this Christmas season? I know I've been saying it for 30 years as pastor here. Every Christmas I talk about, don't get lost. Don't get lost in the, in, in, in the ambiance of, of the celebration. Because there's a reason we celebrate. It's not tinsel and toys and cinnamon and hot cocoa and all the, it's not that. Oh, we enjoy that, but that's not it. Is that Jesus became one of us. See, am I going to be with Herod and I'm going to be uptight, wound up tight about everything? Am I going to be indifferent? It doesn't matter. I'm just kind of melancholy, just kind of in a melancholy way, just kind of, uh, you know, just case sera, sera, whatever, just kind of meander, or do I worship? As I read in Matthew 2, one thing that strikes me above all others is everybody had the same information. <laughs> they all had the same information. They all knew that a baby had been born in Bethlehem. They all knew who the baby was. Herod knew he tried to kill him. The scribes knew and they ignored him. The wise men knew and they went to worship. And that's our response. We all have the same knowledge. We all know that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrate. I say this every year. I remember a, a couple of our, uh, real good friends of ours that raised their daughter for years and years and years. She never, she did not know who Santa Claus was, had no clue. I asked her, she was about five years old. In fact, she used to watch my daughter. Um, she was about five years old, and, and I asked her, I said, her name's Heather. I said, Heather, what's Santa Claus going to bring you for Christmas? And she looked at me like I was talking a foreign language. And her, her Joe, her dad, said, well, she doesn't really know him. I'm like, so what do you do? He said, well, we told her that Christmas is a, it's the birth of Jesus. And that's when, in, in commemoration of his birthday, we exchange gifts with each other. And what they had done is under the tree, they'd set up a little manger. And they said, now when you see baby Jesus in that manger, that's his birthday. And when he's there, we get to exchange gifts with one another. And I thought, Wow. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Again, I, I don't have any beef with the old red-suited fella. I just, I thought that was interesting. You know, we have the information. We can either become hostile, we can come, become indifferent, or we can worship. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and i got to close, then let's do what the Messiah did. This year, things may not be where you want it to be. You may not have everything lined up the way you want it to be lined up. Maybe you're not well. Maybe things in your family are not well. Maybe there are health issues or financial issues. You know what? Let's still choose to worship. Paul wrote that we have been given what Paul said was the indescribable gift. If I don't get anything, I've already received the greatest gift. I've got it. And there's no power greater or great enough to take it away from me. That's why I worship. We come with an open heart. We bow down. We worship Jesus. We come and we worship the newborn king. Won't you stand with me?
See, there are a lot of characters in the Christmas story. I tried to give you a little bit of history because, again, we read the, the, the Christmas story and we see these actors, but we don't know. This guy was a lunatic. The origin of the Grinch was Herod the Great, an evil, cruel despot who tried to steal Christmas, tried to take out Jesus like he had done so many others before. But here's the bottom line. God had a plan. God had a plan. And he preserved and he took care of the Redeemer who had come to do for us what we can't do. If he had a plan, and again, that was before the foundation of the world, he has a plan for each of us today and in this season. And to me, that's what the good tidings of great joy is all about, is that no matter what I'm dealing with right now and no matter how grievous my situation may be, he still has a plan. And if I'm going through something right now, he already knows how he's going to bring me out. He already knows what he's going to do. If I'm, if I'm facing a mountain, if I've got needs in my life, he already knows how he's going to take care of it. That's what Christmas is about. The sign given. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. His name would be given Jesus, Yeshua, and he will save his people from their sins. Don't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight. Three possible choices to the Christmas season. I can become hostile. I can be indifferent. Or I can worship. Not worship because everything's the way I need it to be. But worship because the greatest gift has been given. If you're here tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray, pray. I'm, I'm going through some things right now and I, I'm struggling with this this season I don't maybe you can't even put your finger on it but there's just something inside that just not, it's just not clicked yet maybe it's your to-do list maybe there's so many things that people expect of you the expectation maybe it's what you're going to miss out on this year maybe there are some folks that can't come to your celebration and it's got you up in your fields and it bothers you. I'm not denying any of that stuff. I'm just saying through all of that, let us still come and worship. Let us still come and worship the newborn king who came to do for us what we could not do ourselves. If you're here tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. Could you just slip in right, right back down? I'm going to pray with you tonight. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight, thank you. This is a hard story. I, I struggled with doing this tonight. It's a hard story to hear. It's a hard story to tell. But it's what happened. Lord, there's evil. There was, there's been evil in our world. Herod was an evil man. But it was still part of your plan. I don't fully comprehend all that that means, but Lord, you had a plan, and that plan continues to this day, to this hour, this moment. Lord, there's still evil in our world, great evil. There's still people that are in the hostile camp. They still get hostile over anything that has to do with the Messiah. Lord, there are those that are 
they have the knowledge, but they're indifferent to it. Doesn't they're not they're not they they have the academics of it. They just don't have the relationship. Lord, but then there are those who worship. Lord, I pray especially for those who raise their hand tonight. Lord, help us to just worship. Lord, to maybe not put any expectations on this holiday season and just worship the newborn king. Worship the indescribable gift that's been given to each whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Help us to find that place as the wise men, they sought you. And when they found you, they humbled themselves, presented their gifts, and they worshiped and magnified your name. May we do that as well. In our grief, in our mourning, our sorrow, in our lack, in our frustration, may we find it within ourselves to worship you. Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight. Give us a great night. Give us a restful night. Should you tarry, Lord, I pray that we wake up in the morning with a spring in our step and a song in our heart. And, Lord, may we carry the light wherever we go tomorrow. And may we shine in someone's darkness. This reason for the season, I love and I bless each one now in Jesus' mighty name. And we all say, amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Lord.